right, here we go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a, another episode of the AB Sports Podcast. I am delighted and, and honoured to be having on the podcast today with me uh, a professional cricketer for Scotland and the ICC Associate Player of the Year in 2018. Please welcome Callum McLeod. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, looking forward to having a, a chat with you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to have you on. Um, how, how are things with you, the family, uh, during COVID? Everyone going okay? Um, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting time. Just had a had a little baby, um, which is probably the only good thing to come out of lockdown for us. But hopefully, we've now got that roadmap out of it, and we'll be back playing cricket soon. Which and doing getting back to a bit more normality, which I think everybody's looking forward to, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been okay for me really, apart from apart from missing the obvious things. Um, so where where are you at at the moment? Uh, what what are, what have you got on your schedule? Uh, you know, each week from time to time. Um, so at the moment, it's pretty much fitness work. Um, just trying to get out there, do that, and try and make sure that when when we do get back to cricket, that we're in we're in some sort of place. I've looked at it. I've taken the view to look at it mentally, almost like a long term injury that the people people suffer injuries, which isn't, you can't compare an injury to COVID, but in terms of the length of the game, you probably can, where they come back and they still manage to have skills. Um, the skill level hasn't really dropped. So I'm, I'm trying to look at it mentally a bit like that and just try and be as physically ready as I can be for when it when we come back. Um, that's the way I'm looking at it, whether it works or not. I've got no idea until we, until we pick the bat and ball up again, but... I think it's just everyone's own way of managing with it, um, and then, and then apart from that, it's not it's not a huge amount to be doing. I live down in Kent, and the golf course golf courses are shut down here, which is which is a nightmare because the sun's come back out, and mm -hmm. just looking forward to them opening. Yeah, um, I mean, it must be gutting for George as well, knowing that he's he's really into his cricket as well. Um, sorry, into his uh, his golf. Sorry, I should say. Um, because I can hear, I can hear from other people that I've had before on the podcast. He can hit the ball for miles when he plays golf. So, um, but uh, yeah, um, it is guiding because I, it's it's the same up here as well in Scotland. You know, mm -hmm. the weather's nice and, and lovely, etc. So, um, but uh, hopefully they get reopened and you guys can you know get some golf under your belt as well and uh, as well as cricket. So, um, get anything to get outside is is what we're looking for. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, but I guess it's the same, you know, everyone's in that same boat, really, I guess, you know, just trying to keep themselves busy and, um, and occupied, uh, knowing that, you know, we might be in the situation for, you know, a good couple of months, maybe, or, mm. or yeah, we don't know exactly what the time slot is with that. But um, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, we've, we've got a lot of questions here, we want to, we want to ask yourself, uh, Callum, and um uh, really looking forward to having this conversation with you, and really appreciate your, your time on this. Um, but um, how did you how did you get into cricket? Where did it all start for you? Um, it all started at Drumpelier Cricket Club, uh, just outside of Glasgow. Um, Dad was a social member; um, he never played, um, but he, he enjoyed going down there. And uh, my elder my eldest brother went as well, um, and I just followed him down there. And, it's such a great place to grow up, isn't it? A cricket club. It's a big, wide open, uh, open field, and it was a sports club. Had a rugby pitch as well. So, if you're down there and 
on a Saturday and you've seen a bit of cricket and there's the nets to run about in, there's the rugby pitch to kick some goals on, there's there's lots of lots of just enjoyable space to be as a kid. Um, and then from there, just started playing. Uh, I remember playing my first game against West of Scotland on a Friday night. Um, ended up my brother's team, who's a couple of years older than me, they were a man short. And I, I think I fielded it third man to third man, like most kids do it. And I think mm. it must have been 10 or 11. And, and just just loved it from there. Um, and just, I, th- I think once you, once you start playing cricket, and I think because of the amount of time it takes, once you once you really get hooked by it, and once you play it a lot, it just becomes a passion and um, it becomes something that you just want to do and you just want to get out there and play. And it certainly it, it, it got me from an early age and I still, as you can probably tell, got that passion for the game. Yeah, and um, I must ask you this. I mean, uh, obviously cricket, I guess, was your sort of main sport, you know, growing up as a, as a youngster. Um, but uh, obviously you must have tried, you know, other sports growing up uh, through school and stuff like that. Did you enjoy any other sports apart from uh, cricket? Um, yeah, I, I, I tried to play as many, at school I tried to play as many sports as I could. Um, played a lot of basketball, badminton, all your usual school sports. Um, away from that, I played, I played a little bit of rugby when I was younger and then um, played hockey Hockey was my second sport. It was my winter sport um, for a, a great, um, really good local club in Steps where I grew up, um, and took it took it seriously during the winter, and then took cricket seriously during the summer, and it, it seemed to work quite well. Awesome, yeah, that's good. Um, and um, I was seeing from your, you know, your past experiences, etc., that you obviously played a lot of age group uh, stuff for Scotland. You know, under twelves all the way through to under twenty threes. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. insane. Um, yeah, it's. I suppose once you get into this, once you get into the system, once you you enjoy it, and once you're doing well, I think you, it's that natural progression, though, isn't it? Once you, um, at that, I, th- I probably should know how the system works a little bit better now, actually. But mm. at that at that time, I think there was 12s, 13s, 15s, 17s, 19s, 23s. I think's become the 18s. So th- there's a lot of pathway cricket there. Um, and getting involved in it, and it was a good way to it was a good way to go and play other teams and see other teams. I mean, I think at the seventeens we played England under fifteens and England under seventeens and stuff. And um, I was always lucky enough that I was normally playing an age group above me, um, which I think was was really good for my cricket at that age and quite good for becoming quite competitive and having to uh, hold your own because you're always playing against guys who are bigger than you. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was always fun, and then you travel. I mean, I think I think my first trip abroad was um, with cricket. I think I was twelve, and we went to went to Holland, and then went to Denmark and Ireland. And you're traveling a lot, and as a kid, that's that's exciting, and you want, it only grows it grows with the passion that you're playing with. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that you know for yourself, it was probably you didn't expect it to happen so quickly or or too soon. I guess. Uh, See, some days I say it's funny. I, I didn't expect to play for the national team as soon as I did, but all the all the age group stuff, I, you didn't expect it, but you almost you almost felt like you. That's where you. Well, the way I looked at it, and it's probably not the right way. Is I, I always felt that it's where I should be playing until I got a little bit older and I realised the standards a little bit better than. Mm-hmm. Than you think it is. So once I broke into the national team, I, I think my initial instinct was, okay, okay, I'm here. I'm going to go out and I'm going to play. I'm going to do well. 
And then when you don't, you actually your eyes get open and you, you have to reassess and go, okay, the standard's a lot better than you think. Um, it's certainly all the age group stuff. I always felt, okay, this is this is what I want to be doing and I want to be trying to win the games at that age. Yeah. Um, and um, the one thing I was going to add on top of, uh, you know, the stuff that you've done with the age groups from, you know, under 12s to under 23s as well, that you also had a uh, retainer contract, so to speak, with uh, Warwickshire uh, in 20, 2006, sorry, I believe, uh, if, I, if I'm correct in saying that. Um, how did... Uh, how did all that come about? You know, obviously, when you played with the age group stuff, then you get this contract uh, with Warwickshire. I mean, uh, talk us a little bit about what happened during that period. It was a long time ago. Um, so that was 2006. Um, the war, um, or around that time, Andy Moles was coaching Scotland. Um, my time might, might be slightly off, but he certainly put me in touch with Warwickshire. Mm. Um, and I, I went down there for a couple of trials during the winter. Um, Captain, my mum was absolutely brilliant through that period. We'd um, their training would be Sunday morning, so we'd get up on a Sunday. Sunday morning, we'd drive down to Birmingham from Glasgow. Um, I'd go and have a training session for two, two hours, three hours, whatever it was. Uh, whilst I was doing that, mum would sleep in the car, and then she'd drive drive me back that night. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. And without that, I'd, I doubt I would have been able to to commit to it like I did. Um, but from that, uh, there was a Warwickshire Academy tour to South Africa, um, which was a brilliant, brilliant experience. Went with some really good cricketers on there. I think Chris Wokes was there, Navdeep Punia, who played for Scotland eventually. Um, a couple other cricketers who went on and played for um, Warwickshire were on it. Um, and after that, they asked if during the summer I'd, I'd come down and have a retainer contract with them, just as I, I think I would have been 16 or 17 at that age. Um, and then from there just worked my way through the 19s into the second team and and found a way to get a contract with them that way Awesome, yeah, sounds sounds really good because um, um, obviously you've got to try and you know balance up as much as you can you know on, on your weekly schedule or, or whatever it is mm. basically but um, uh, that's good, that's really good to hear um, but um, when of course when you're back up in Scotland uh, you play regional cricket with uh, the Western Warriors um, uh, one of the three teams in the regional series um, was was the Western Warriors that sort of one team that you you wanted to play for, or did you have other opportunities to play for the other two regional teams? Um, well, I wanted to play for the the Western Warriors, and um, I had a season where I played for the Knights because um, I was living in Newcastle at the time, and I was travelling up and down, and I felt I might be able to. To commit to a little bit more to training and um, everything else that goes along with being a team, but it transpired that it was no different to what I was doing for the Western Warriors. And being a Glasgow boy, I always wanted to to play for the Western team. Um, and I, I'm a massive advocate of the regional system. I think it's a really, really positive step that Cricket Scotland have take, uh, taken there. Mm. I, think, um, I think it goes without saying if you get a strong regional system that's above club cricket. Two things happen. One, the standards that the guys who are aspiring to play for Scotland are playing in Scotland gets. They're playing a better standard, which means that the national teams are the national teams more prepared for when there's national games. And on top of that, the guys who are playing in the regional system and training um, with the regional coaches and regional players, when they go back to their clubs, 
they're now better players, so the standard of club cricket gets gets raised. Um, so I think if 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 both the players, the, the coaches, and the organisation get behind it, the clubs get behind this, what could be a, a good regional system, then I think we'll see the standard of cricket and club cricket um, grow in Scotland. Yeah, and you know it's great to see these youngsters getting into these regional teams and and playing some good competitive cricket against you know some of the best players from within Scotland. Yeah, and, and there's some good teams. So the, the Eastern team we played last year, it's a, a really strong side. And mm. they had, um, I think last year they, they introduced that you could have an overseas. So the, the Western, uh, sorry, the Eastern Knights bowling attack was, if you came up against it for Scotland, you would, it would be a full international bowling attack. Um, mm. And that, that can only be a good thing for the game in Scotland. I mean, it's, I mean, if they can find a way of marketing it and bringing a bit more enthusiasm to it from, from outside, then it would be brilliant. And of course, um, Richie Barrington is the, the captain for the Western Warriors uh, currently at the moment. Um, you've played alongside him for many, many years, yeah. I assume. Uh, but um, what's it like having a guy like him, you know, experienced guy who's, who's been in the game for such a long time, uh, captain one of the regional teams and, and play alongside him, you know, in that Scotland job. It's, it's, he speaks for himself. I think I, I think I'm right in saying he's Scotland's all-time leading capped player. Um, if he's not, he's certainly very close to it. Mm. Um, and you don't do that without having a level of professionalism that he's got. He's he's so dedicated to his craft. He's, he's, he's fielding his fitness. He's, he's batting, he's bowling. He, he, he does all four really, really well. Um and the enthusiasm and the hunger he brings to regional games um, to drive that standard, to try and improve the cricket in the West and the guys who come in. Um, anytime you see him in that environment, he's always trying to help the guys. He's always at end in the national team. He's always looking to, to help somebody else, um, which is brilliant um, from, a, from a slightly... Selfish you, he's probably my probably one of my favourite batters to bat with in the Scotland team uh, and the Western Warriors team. He's, mm. um, I think, pro- probably product of batting so much with him. We've just got a really good understanding. Um, to the extent if if he came down and said, "Look, I think you need to change your game," or I think I need uh, you need to start playing this shot, or you need to be doing this. If he said it to me, I, I, I don't think I'd think twice about it. I think I'd just take it on board and just. And just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, for two, one, I trust him. Two, he's played that much cricket. He sees it. And three, we've batted so much that he knows my game it probably as well as I do. Yeah. And, and it's great to see that from, you know, experienced guy, you know, kind of trying to contribute and 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 uh, giving advice to these youngsters coming through the ranks. So that's that's good to see. Mm-hmm. It's very good to see. Um, but um, let's talk about, uh, obviously, very quickly about your, you know, your domestic uh, cricket that you played down south in England. Obviously, with the likes of Warwickshire, uh, Durham, Derbyshire, um, but you've also played uh, before, if I'm correct in saying, for the Pactia Panthers, uh, which were playing in Sharjah, I believe. Um, but um, a team from Afghanistan, of course. But uh, and uh, more recently with Sussex Sharks as well uh, for the Fatali Blast as well. Um, how how competitive is it playing? for these teams, obviously, in different competitions, um, you know, against different players that you've probably never played before, uh, uh, played against, sorry, in the past. Um, what was it like from your point of view? Um, 
It's so enjoyable. And the, the overseas tournaments that you go to, so the, you mentioned the Afghanistan Premier League there, um, been lucky enough to go to Hong Kong, uh, went to Canada two years ago, uh, obviously wasn't on last year. Uh, and then the the four domestic uh, English teams I've played for, I, I, it's brilliant going and challenging yourself against other players. Um, the Afghanistan Premier League, the standard of cricket there was very, very good. Um, the team that won the competition had, they had Chris Gale, um, Mohamed Nabi, Tendiskata, Ravi Papara, mm. and I think Colin Ingram possibly, or somebody, somebody of that, or Colin Monroe possibly. Mm. That's a that's a very very good twenty twenty cricket side. Um, on top of what, um, some exceptionally talented local Afghanistani players. I mean, we do. So it was a really exciting competition to be involved in um, and in different conditions to what we're used to in in the UK. Um, yeah. And I went there and I, I learned a little bit there that hopefully every time we go back to Sharjah, we go to the UAE, it's something that I can I can recall. Um, it's, it's like a really simple technical thing in, in Scotland and in the UK, it's all about getting your head and your weight towards the ball, getting that stride into the ball to cover all the movement, to cover to cover the sideways movement, whereas in charge of the ball doesn't bounce as much and it doesn't move as sideways. So the need for that big stride towards the ball actually gets you in a bit more trouble. And it's not until you spend some a, a bit longer out there and playing and working with other players that you start to see those little subtleties. Um, so you can, you can adapt your game um, and I think that's what's one of the good things of going and playing in different competitions and different different places. Um, and then the blast, I think the blast is a very good competition in England. And it gets a little bit of a gets a little bit of a bad rep compared to some of the other twenty twenty competitions. But if you look at the other twenty twenty competitions, they're full of. You look at the big, the big, the big bash in Australia. It's any English player that's gone over there has done really well. And I, I think that shows, and they're normally the guys who are doing well in England as well. I think it shows you the standard of the blast. I just don't, I don't think it looks great in TV sometimes compared to some of the other competitions. Um, but the standard's very high. Um, I was a little bit disappointed with how I did at Sussex this year. Um, mm. Not making an excuse, but in the middle of a pandemic when you haven't picked a, a cricket battle and then your first game's against Shine of 3D. And, mm. I mean, it's, it was a bit of a, a bit of a, a wake up call just to to be suddenly back out there. Um, hopefully, if that opportunity ever comes around again, um, I'd be a little bit more prepared because it was a brilliant place. It was one of the I was only there for a month, but it was a, one of the most enjoyable clubs I've played at. Um, just a really good group of guys who really professional, um, and you could tell you could tell it was a good environment to be involved in. Yeah, and it's it's amazing to see. Um, so many uh, guest talented players from you know from around the world coming in playing in these different uh, competitions. Um, but I guess for you as as a as a batsman mainly, uh, it's just trying to uh, whether you play down south or up here in Scotland or abroad um, about how to adjust to each wicket and how to you know score runs and and um, it must be you know not a lot a lot of the times easy but. Um, you know, pretty difficult uh, occasionally as well. Uh, yeah, it can be. Um, it can be very difficult, and it can. Um, 
for example, in the Scotland, Scotland two years ago, we played up in Aberdeen on wickets that that spun a, a bit more than we were expecting, or certainly more than the Grange would have. And in Scotland, we'd become used to playing in a certain way in the Grange wicket because it's so flat and the boundaries are small. And we know that we can play cricket there as a Scotland batting, you know, that can be that would beat most associate teams. But then we went up to up to. Aberdeen, we didn't react quick enough. Uh, the, the games subsequent to that, we did. Um, but even in your own conditions, it's it's about adapting to to what's put in front of you and trying to find a way to to maximise the score on that day um, mm. and trying to get the information around the team um, when you do go different places. I, we're lucky enough now that we travel enough that any condition we've got in most of the countries we go to, we've played at before. Um Certainly the UAE, where we play a lot of our cricket now, most of the guys have played a lot of cricket there that the conditions shouldn't be alien once you've done a little bit of training, um, which is which is quite an exciting place to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, obviously you, yourself, you know, as an ODI and T20, you've both played in, in those formats in the game uh, so far. Um, both made brilliant scores. I remember that... Uh, that game, obviously, the the biggest game of Scotland's, uh, you know, history is, uh, was against England, uh, you know, in 2018, and he made, I think it was 140 or something, not out. Uh, it was great, fantastic innings. Uh, but um, what, uh, what, in your opinion, then, are the, is the biggest differences between the two? I mean, how hard is it? How easy is is it for you? I mean, um, what's it like? You know, obviously, trying to transfer between both ODI and T20. Um. It's a good question. It's one I ask ask myself a lot. Um, without stating the complete obvious, the the game's shorter, so you're um, you need to find your game plan and stick to it and or adapt. It obviously happens a lot quicker in in twenty twenty, um, and then it's it's a little bit. Can you just free your mind and can you just free free yourself to play play aggressively from ball one? Um, the conditions obviously in a twenty twenty game are important, but they're slightly less important than the conditions in a fifty over game with two new balls, where your game plan probably you probably go up and down the gears a little bit more. In twenty twenty, you you're forced because the game's played that way to start in a higher gear and then just get higher and keep going and keep going, um, and then. I think what are the other differences? I think the bowlers in 2020, um actually another bowling in ODI cricket. I think I think just the shortness of the game and just how how you've got to adapt your game plan quicker. Um four balls in the 2020 can be a long time and a game can be a game can be the momentum of the game can change in that short space, whereas in a 50 over game, four overs is probably uh, unless it's at the back end, the four overs you can probably catch up with, but you couldn't do that in a 2020, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess, you know, I onto that as well. I mean, it's not like it's, uh, you know, a test test match or or um, an ODI game. If, you, if you're playing in T20, that is, um, you know, you're going to try and uh, obviously see out the first, I think, two or three balls, and then you got to try and get into it and then read the, you know, the bowler's rhythm and, and mm-hmm. where he's bowling, et cetera. Um, but um, 
I think it's great. The T20 formats are great because there's a lot of big hitting, obviously, in, in that format. And um, you see a lot of sixes, fours. Um, and, yeah, it's an exciting competition. Same with ODI cricket as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I think that's – I agree with that. I agree with what you said earlier about that. So, um, but, yeah. Um, now, you've scored, you know, well over 2,000 ODI runs in your career so far um, in 66 matches roughly. Uh, and over a thousand runs in, in T20s in about 49 games or so. Um, what have been some of your favorite innings to date? What have been my favorite innings? Um, good question. Um, I'll try and figure this out. Um, I think. One that instantly came to my head there, um, probably slightly more unknown one. Um, my first, uh, my first hundred for Scotland uh, against a man at Sharjah. Interestingly, um, in a twenty twenty game, oh, terrible. I can't remember the year. It would have been, I think, twenty eleven or twenty thirteen World Cup qualifiers back then. Um, managed to score a hundred. I, mean, I was dropped a couple of times and. Um, but then Craig Wallace was at the other end and seen me over the line um, to, to get 100 in a game that we won. Um, and that was that was a moment that I don't think you ever forget. Um, I'm not a huge fan of massive 100 celebrations. I think, I think you get 100 and you acknowledge the crowd and you get on with it. But I have to be honest, that was one of the few times I've, I've lost it with a, a celebration. I was, I think having been out of the team in 2009 and not quite sure where my cricket was going to go to then come back a couple of years later and have a have a 2020 hundred under my belt. That was one that I'll always be proud of. Um, obviously the England game, um, getting 100 and 140 and what will be a, a memorable game is, is something that, I mean, I'll, I'll, always, I'll always remember and it'll always be something that I'll be able to to find on YouTube if I really want to when I'm when I'm 70 or 80 and want to reminisce of what I used to do. Um, and then and then I got 100 uh, I got 150 against Afghanistan in the World Cup qualifiers. Um, in terms of in terms of sticking to a game plan and batting and preparation and on a much tougher wicket than the Grange was against a, uh, a tack that had three quality spinners or four quality spinners in it. I think that was, and if you ask Kyle, he'll probably certainly tell you it was. I think that was was probably my, as a batsman, probably my best innings. Um, with the way I prepared for it and the way I committed to a game plan and the way I executed it, um, it's one that is one that I'm probably really proud of and one that I've tried to learn a lot more from than any other, other innings. Yeah. Um, and it, it was great, especially in that England game, because I was there in person and was watching the game and it was brilliant. Um, and you guys just got off to such a such a great start. And uh, you finished, I think it was at 371 for five or something mm. um, after your innings. And, um, but then England turned on the gas as well. They, they were doing pretty well up to a point where they got about, I think it was 100 20 or so odd runs before they uh, conceded their first wicket. So, um, 
And it was really close in the end. You guys only won it by six runs, I think. So yeah, um, yeah, it was just a, it was just a brilliant game of cricket. Um, but even even that, there was something to learn from the way Bearstow came out and the way he batted. Um, once uh, I think a month down the line, I think I was talking to Crossy and um, we were talking about that and the way he hit the ball and the way he hit the spinners and the way he attacked. And just looking at it and okay, how can how can we get closer to that? How can we learn from that? What what was he doing that we can then add to our games? Um, so even though at one stage it looked like he was going to take the game away, it was something once once we got over it a little bit and um, try and use it to learn from because I thought it just thought the way he batted was brilliantly. Yeah, and guys like um, obviously Liam Plunkett coming in the end there. I mean, he can do some serious damage with the bat as well. Um, yeah, they, they, yeah, it was just a good game of cricket. It went down to the wire and um, could have gone either way. Um, I think. I mean, it's uh, it'd been a brilliant day, but I suppose the disappointing part of it is that we've not not really had any more cricket against full members since to to really kick on and and go and show what we can do. Um, it would have been nice that year to have that, and then the World Cup. Um, or even more games against full members. I know we played Sri Lanka the year after, but they were re- really rain-affected um, games. And we played Afghanistan as well in a rain-affected game that if it gone down to the wire, I think we would have won, but the DRS came in and, and helped the other the other team out twice. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's just the frustrating thing is that we just feel at this bit where if we just push that just a little bit more with games and opportunities, You'd see, you'd see this team soar even further. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think cricket Scotland's, you know, still going strong. They're, they're still, they've got loads of plans uh, for the future, and um, I cannot wait to see what um, what they can do. Uh, you know, at the Grange and, and with other regional stuff going on as well. So that'll be um, that'll be pretty cool to see what what happens with that. Um, now, obviously, I mean, you, with yourself, you've worked with you know a lot of coaches throughout your career uh, so far. Um, who have been some of the coaches that re- have really helped you develop as a player going forward? Um, I'm going to give you a slightly, slightly boring answer and say, but probably most of them. Um, I don't think I've, I really don't think I've had a bad relationship with a coach yet. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, you can sometimes see a relationship between a player and a coach is quite strained, and you can. And you can see it happening, but I think I've been lucky enough. I've, I've not really had that, so I've tried to learn from most of them. Um, as a eighteen or nineteen year old kid working with Alan Donald was like a kid in a candy shop. I mean, an absolute hero growing up. Um, to be able to ask him questions day in day out was was brilliant. Even just even if he was, I don't know, doing a bowl through in the morning, and Alan Donald's there, and you're just watching him. I mean, that was that was brilliant. Um, uh, working with Grant Bradburn was he he helped me uh, he challenged me, he did challenge me um, and I probably challenged him back but he um, he really, he opened my eyes to actually what performance as an international batter should look like, I'm not saying I'm, I've got to that I still think I've got bits to, to tick off to get to that but as a batter, you can't just be performing every now and then. You've got to find a way of of, of scoring a bit more consistently. Um, 
but not putting yourself under too much pressure if you don't, if there's a kind of a paradox to it, isn't there? Um, mm. And certainly, certainly learning. Some of my best coaches have been players. I mean, Kyle, the amount he pushes me in, and even from watching him and watching his continual success and how he's kept reinventing himself as a batter, he's not the same batter he was when he was 18. He's not the same batter he was when he was 25, but he's probably... He's a different batter. He might be, he's probably better in some aspects than he was then. I think that's really it's really eye-opening and exciting for me. Um, obviously, I'm 32 now, so if, at that age, Kyle kind of reinvented his game again to this aggressive opener. Um, so looking at that and working with him has been quality. Um, I mentioned Crossy before Matthew Cross, the wicketkeeper batsman for Scotland. Um, he's, been, I've, he's been my roommate since he first came in the squad. So we've got this um, quite close relationship where he's probably the most honest critic and coach I've got um, to the point that he, he, he kind of forced me to learn a shot which really helped help my game develop and I was quite stubborn about it and I didn't, I didn't think it was a great way for me to go but he was adamant and he, he forced me in the nets to keep practicing, keep practicing and then eventually it added it into my game and I could I could see the sense in it. I could see where it expanded my game. Um, and I think I think some relationships like that, where you can learn off everybody and, and certainly off your own players, I think they are just as important as the overall coach because the overall coach has got so much going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know I spoke to Kyle um, on the podcast. It seems like it was ages ago now, but. Um, He's, he's a great guy to talk to, very, obviously very experienced player um, and a coach as well. And, uh, you know, if I'm right in saying this, he, he, I think he wants to go into a, you know, a full-time coaching position when, obviously, when he retires um, from the game. But um, I think it's, it's great to have him in any squad that, you, you know, you put him with. So, um, but, um, yeah. Uh, I think he's one of those guys who who leads from the front and, you know, yeah. sets a good example to all these young guys coming through and even, you know, experienced guys like yourself and, and other people as well. So I've, I've said it before and I'll say, I, I don't think, I don't think Cricket Scotland or certainly the national team, and, and we're still on the journey. We are still trying to aspire to become that full member, but I don't think we'd be anywhere as close to where we are, potentially are now if, if Kyle Hunt changed the way he played and the way he played then changed the way the team played and was able to lead from the front like you said and obviously that took himself and Beryl uh, the two most senior players to really lead that into us playing this really quite positive brand of cricket um, so I think the impact they've had there doing that and leading from the front like you said has been has been hugely important um, so it's exciting yeah and then um, it's like you said, it's brilliant for some of the youngsters to come in and see that, um, and see see a guy like Kyle playing in that way, and that's that's how one day cricket and twenty twenty cricket's going. I'm sure George and Ollie, some of the younger batters who have come into the squad, have looked at it and learned as well, because I know I certainly have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, of course, you know, biggest biggest. Um, I guess moment in your career is, is obviously being named the ICC Associate Player of the Year uh, back in 2018. Um, obviously, lots of you know you must have been so happy. You must have been over the moon. You must have uh, 
obviously spoken about it with your family as well and, and let them know about it. Um, but um, I mean, what was it like obviously being nominated to you then, you know, you go into all these nominees uh, with loads of different players um, up for that award, so to speak. And then you then managed to get in the end. I mean, it must have been uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, I was very, very proud of that. Um Proud of, I don't. I don't have any memorabilia in my house. Um, I, not yet. I'm planning and building something with, which I can. I can put some a bit of a barrier to to have it. Um, but it was the one trophy that I kept out. Um, because it had taken taken quite a lot of time to to get to that sort of consistent performance over a whole year, um, where where I'd performed well enough to 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 have that award um obviously 2009 getting banned for bowling losing contracts being out of the game not being on the scotland side um 2010 when i moved, first moved back to scotland potentially looking at not playing anymore um contemplating going and trying to play hockey and uh, see if i could see if i could find a way of becoming a dual internationalist there mm. to then suddenly actually know um I'm going to commit to this. I, I like cricket too much. And then learning how to become a batter, uh, going through all the ups and downs of that and all the failures to to get to a point where I performed well enough that I was nominated for that award. I was I was exceptionally proud of it. Um, and exceptionally proud of the um, the awards, the, the Associate Player of the Decade. Um, if you told me that in 2009 that I'd even be close to be nominated for that, if you told me in 2009 or 2010 I'd still be playing for Scotland in 2021, I probably wouldn't have, or, what year, yeah, 2021, um, I probably wouldn't have believed you. So to to then be nominated for that sort of award, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I was pretty proud of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine any player would. I mean, you know, getting into that position where you know, obviously, you know, people have sort of put your name forward because, you know, they've known that you've been playing during that period for, um, you know, a good amount of time. And then you put in some good performances and, you know, stuff like that. And then you get to that stage where it gets, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm in the spotlight, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it, it's, I mean, it's great. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. And, um, uh, you know, uh, congratulations on winning that. I mean, that was, that was so uh, special for yourself. So, um but uh yeah um so i wanted to talk about obviously your your debuts that you made for scotland you've been in the scotland setup now for um a good while now actually i mean i think it's about uh maybe 2007 or 2008 now i must 2007 yeah um so obviously you made your odi debut uh against england then you made your t20 debut against new zealand um just talk to us a little bit about how you were feeling and, and what was going through your mind at that stage. Yeah, yeah, my my actually my my proper debut was uh, UAE at Air in a four day game in the old Intercontinental Cup, um, but it was a proper Scottish game. I think we got thirty overs in four days. Um, welcome to, to international cricket. And I remember John Blaine got hit over his head for one of the biggest sixes I've ever seen in the second ball of the game. I think it was. And I just remember thinking, wow. Um, but the ODI debut against England at the Grange, I mean, that was, I think I was batting 11. Um, 
I don't even know what age it was. I can't can't do the maths in my head quickly enough. Um, walking out in Andrew Flint office at the other end, steaming in. You know he's can bowl close to ninety miles an hour. You're number eleven. You're a kid walking out there. Never faced that sort of thing before. I'll be honest. I was wasn't feeling the most confident. Um, but then you get out there and. I mean, I managed to squirt the first ball down to third man. Um, and that was that. Just got on with it. Um, that game fell to rain as well. So I didn't actually get to bowl in it, which would have been the reason I was in the team at that point, um, which was a shame. They had some some exciting cricketers to play against. Um, and then the game against New Zealand was in the... 2009 World Cup at the Oval. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be honest, what an experience that was. Um, I originally hadn't been picked in the squad. Um, I think it was around that time suspicions were starting to come up about my action and I don't think they wanted to pick me for two reasons. One, I hadn't actually done that well when I played for Scotland. And two, I think they didn't want me to to go to the World Cup with an action that was well, clearly on the, on the verge of being banned. Um, so they picked picked some players, but then John Blaine um, left the squad, which left a spot for me to come in. And I was still going to be a squad player, but then on a training session and up in Nottingham beforehand, um, D. Walt Nell ended up, I think he broke his thumb, one of his thumbs. So suddenly he was out the squad. So I went from I went from not being in the squad and and not looking like playing and being a bit frustrated about it to suddenly opening the bowling against Brendan McCollum in a reduced game where we had an opportunity. Um, I think Kyle and Navdi got some runs, if I remember. Um, and I think we might have had 70 or 80 to defend in seven or eight overs. I mean, we had a real chance. And then they just they just blew us away. McCollum came out, smashed it everywhere, and then they, they almost romped him. Um, and then a couple of days later to be playing South Africa against um, against Smith, Develius, um, Jack Callis, who I think is probably one of the greatest cricketers that's ever ever played the game. Mm. I mean, what an experience is a, a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, uh, I was just about to say that. I mean, it's 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 so it must have been so cool to play against all these guys, knowing that, you know. As, as I said, as I mentioned before, obviously with yourself being in the game for such a long time and then these guys being in the game for such a long time, I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, it's really awesome. Um, I, think, I think what worked as well is I think they, they got quite a good format with that World Cup. Um, obviously, it's well documented what we think of the 10-team World Cups and even the 2020 World Cups where you have to qualify to then into a small qualifying group to try and qualify for the main group again. You just seem to be on an endless qualification run. But in that um, 2009 World Cup, they had two games on in the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was good crowds in. So I think we played we played before um, Australia and West Indies played in a group match. Um, so the crowd, the crowd was building. So you don't normally get a huge crowd for a Scotland-New Zealand game. You probably wouldn't. But if Australia-West Indies is on after... And people are coming and they want to come and watch it. So we we were playing almost in front of a full crowd, which was brilliant at the Oval. Um, and I think that was something that certainly from a player's and associate player's view was, was was brilliant and something I wish the ICC would replicate again. 
absolutely yeah and I, I i back you up on that as well um so um but um as a batsman yourself right um how do you how do you how do you try and judge a ball obviously when you've got, you've got balls running in and and uh, you know doing their overs um and uh how how do you as a batsman manage to judge the ball at the right time and and uh you know manage to or i guess work on your feet as well because obviously when you when you play against seamers or spinners or or whatever it is um you you got to try and as I, as i said before in other podcasts use your feet um a lot especially against spinners um but how from your perspective how do you try and judge the ball at the right time and hit the ball at the, at the precise time um i think that a lot of that's just training mm. um I, I suppose i suppose a little bit of it probably growing up playing a lot of sport playing a lot of hockey so you get that hand-eye coordination you've got that um i've played sports all my life where you're used to hitting things um so you probably there's probably a little bit of a natural natural ability there if you can I don't really like that term but um, there's probably something ingrained there and then the rest of it the cricket side of it is training um, I don't think you'd find many people would just pick up a bat and hit hit the ball without with the correct technique or timing I think um, it's one of those under underrated things the amount of time you spend doing simple drills doing your basics um so then when it becomes a bit more complicated and the pace gets a bit quicker it becomes it becomes almost second nature I, I, sometimes against spin you might be thinking or so actually against seam as well you'd be thinking about specific um areas you want to target or the specific time you want to hit the ball to get it in a gap mm. but the majority of it is is reacting and then trusting your body and your mind to come up with the right the right idea. Um, that's certainly the way I look at it. I'm not. Some other guys would would give you a bit more of a technical answer. Or they might give you a an even simpler of standing there watching the ball and hitting it. Um, mm. Doesn't really work for me. I've got to I've got to think a little bit more about what I'm trying to achieve, of where I'm looking to hit it, what I'm trying to do, what the ball is trying to do, um, and then let my body take over. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, no, it's it's, it's fine because I mean I, I see I see a lot of people, a lot of like experienced players play on international stages or, or with clubs even, and they uh, they bat against you know the likes of seamers, and they all they do is especially in T Twenty formats, they just stand there and just hit the ball. They don't even use their feet because they yeah. know where it's coming and they know how which line length it's coming down. You know. Um, but with with spinners, they seem to when they when they know which area it's going to be bowled in, they sort of use their feet a lot and they come down the yeah. the wicket and then they then they hit it out of the ground. So, yeah. well, when, when you were asking about the differences of twenty twenty and ODI cricket, I think that is one of the biggest differences of playing spin in those formats. And twenty in fifty over cricket, the bowler will try and bowl his best ball a lot more often. Um, so then you can you can either use your feet or you can look to sweep because you've got an idea of where the ball is going to come. In 2020, it's a little bit higher. It wouldn't work in 50 over cricket because you've got the time to be patient to wait for a bad ball. But in 2020, you can get away with bowling different lines so the batsman can't get set. Mm. 
Mm. Um, so if a batsman's just standing there waiting for the same ball after ball after ball, then you're going to get smacked out of the park. But if you're changing the line and the length and certainly the line a bit more, then it becomes a little bit harder to just stand and hit it. Um, the reason that might not work in 50 over cricket as much is because then you have that patience that if he bowls wide, well, you can actually just hit it out and you can keep rotating the strike. Whereas a single in a 20-20 is not damaging, but a single in a 50 over cricket over a long, long period of time, mm. um, you can start to build pressure with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's that's what a lot of coaches have told me as well in the past. Um you know, something similar to that as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's always good to work on a lot of things, you know, uh, and develop and get better as a player. So, um, but um, as far as I know, Callum, I, I mean, I've seen you ball um, spin quite a lot recently. I've seen you ball uh, seam as well. Um, which, which one prefer is better for you, I guess, in, in your... Um, I start... A concern I'm always in Kyle's ear to try and get a ball. He's not going to like this answer. I, I enjoy bowling seam a lot more. Um, yeah. Obviously grew up as a fast bowler and then got banned for throwing it and then came back as a, a medium-paced swing bowler. Um, I think the way the game's going with four fielders out out the circle with that sort of 70 to 75 mile an hour bowler who bowls change-ups, certainly in one-day cricket, You've got nowhere to hide now, and the guys hit 360 a lot more comfortably. So that I think you'll find that that sort of bowl has disappeared a little bit more. Yeah. Um, certainly, I found when I was when those new rules through the middle came in, I was just getting smacked because you, you don't have enough fielders to defend, to defend at that pace. Um, and certainly, and I'm not I'm not consistent enough. Um, with my areas, some guys might get away with it. Uh, Tim Murtha from the, uh, Ireland, for instance, he gets away with it because he's got a great seam presentation and he holds his length and he can change his length really yeah. consistently because he's been doing it for 25 years. I or 20 years. Um, I haven't been doing it that long. So, um, yeah, I had to, I had to find a way of staying in the game. I get, I, I. I don't get bored's completely the wrong word, but I get a bit frustrated just not being involved in the game. Mm -hmm. um, so I just started bowling off spin and then um, just work at it in the same way as I'd work at my batting to try and to try and give Kyle or whoever my captain is, whether I'm playing in one of the tournaments around the world, world just an option of of being able so if I can bowl an over in 2020 or if I can bowl two and then for instance Beryl can bowl two overs hmm. then you might be able to play an extra batter um, so I'm just that's the way I look at it a little bit of my own, own boredom and want to be involved and also the, the, the fact is that we've got two very good left arm spinners and um, hmm. Hamza and Mark Watt that if we if we need an off spinner because that's what we need then I can at least Give Kyle an option. Yeah, absolutely. I was just about to say that it's it's good to have uh, a lot of options available, and you know, if Kyle uh, is like saying, "All oh, right, we need we need Calm to come on," or or somebody else, it depends what the situation is at the time, I guess. Yeah. So, but, um, but at the same time, if you could give me a red ball, swinging Duke's red ball, and a slightly green wicket, I'd have such a smile on my face running and trying to swing the ball mm -hmm. and and trying to nick people off. Um, 
I think when you get when you've done that and you get used to it, there's nothing quite like it. Um, but certainly, not bowling with a hard cookaburra in the middle of a twenty twenty or one day game where guys are trying to hit you out the stands. That's not quite as not quite as fun. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, um, we, we've got some um, uh, some quick fire questions here to finish off with. Um, if that's all right with yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, it's been great so far. So this will be uh, uh, these questions. We'll get to know know you a little bit more uh, with these questions. But um, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to do. So um, uh, first one is, uh, what's the favourite moment of your career so far? Um, favourite moments, really specifically, the pitch invasion after the England game. I've never seen the passion for cricket in Scotland like it, and that that's always going to be the moment I remember of that day. Um, who's the toughest player you've played against so far? Um, I, I always found any time I faced Jimmy Anderson, I just thought he was his skill level was was remarkable. I think every time he's played, I've played against him, he's got me out. Just mm. really, really, really good. Um, what is your favourite type of music? Um. Favorite, to, uh, probably, probably more in the rocky side of of music. Yeah, and uh, none of none of what Mark Watt puts on in the changing room. Um, what is your favorite holiday destination? Uh, went to Stellenbosch, the wine regions, and just uh, outside of Cape Town uh, a couple of years ago, and absolutely stunning, absolutely brilliant. Um. If you could invite three guests around for dinner, who would they be? Oh, wow. Um, dead or alive or anything. Anything, yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't think we've got long enough. This is a podcast in its own. Um, <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson would be there. Definitely be there. Hmm. Um, oh, wow. Gone mind blank of everybody there is in the world. Um, Obama, I think he's. I thought he was very interesting. Um, I thought he'd be quite an interesting character to speak to. Um, and who else is coming? Oh, Billy Connolly, hundred percent. Billy Connolly's coming. Awesome, awesome choice. Awesome choices. Actually. Not sure what I'm chatting to those three about, apart from Man United. But <laughs> yeah, because you're you're a big Man United supporter as well. Uh, yeah, from what I've heard. So, well, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, what is your favourite type of food? Um, can't go wrong with a good steak, can you? Yeah. How how well how well uh, do you like it? Well done or medium? No, or it, it's not quite blue, but not not far off. Um, when we went to Zimbabwe a couple of years ago um, for the World Cup qualifiers, uh, Craig Wallace and I got in a, in a little bit of a routine of just steak every night and seeing seeing how rare we could go with it. When it get when it got too rare, it was just just lost it a little bit. But certainly certainly not more than medium rare. Awesome. Um, now ODI or T twenty. Um. ODI. ODI, um, but actually test cricket. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Apart from cricket, which other sports do you like? Obviously, we mentioned football uh, earlier. Yeah, um, I, slightly boring. I, I like most sports, but the, the sports I certainly play the most or played the most would be um, golf, hockey, um, and football as well. Um, cover drive or reverse sweep? Oh, cover drive. It's an element of surprise every time I get it right. Um, and the last one I want to ask you is, uh, overall, what's the favourite cricket ground that you've played at? Overall, oh, Lords. Lords, it's just it's special. Um, every time you go there, whether we've played, we played Scotland, Scotland A games there when there's been no crowd there. Um, I played a championship game where I got a pair. I uh, played... Played a um, domestic one day cup final there, which we won. And every time I've been there, it's been amazing. Um, just the whole experience of, of that ground and what it means to cricket is, as a cricket badger as I am, it's, it's pretty magical. Awesome. Um, well, um, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on, Callum. I really appreciate your time, mate. Um, it's been lovely to chat to you. Um, and um, I, would, I would love to have you back on in the near future, whenever that might be. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that'd be um, really cool to have you back on. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much uh, for today. Uh, we all really appreciate your time and, um, you know, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And um, hopefully one day we'll see you back out there on in the Scotland jersey again. Hopefully soon. Thank you very much for having me on. <laughs>